You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Thank you, Janelle and the Irwin family for sharing your story with us. Just a little glimpse of what it looks like to be for the gospel and for the city. My name is Dean, the pastor here at City Church. It's good to gather today. And that story is just incredible how the Irwin family faced the unthinkable, truly. And now uh, Janelle, and along with Michelle Hart and the Hang Tough Foundation, has served thousands of families in our city. And I'm really thankful she's a church member and that we get to partner with Hang Tough. Uh, they're really doing important work here in our city for families facing childhood illnesses, uh, special needs families. And we want to keep doing that. And we want to make sure that our church uh, is the institution, and I mean that in the good sense of the word, uh, that helps Hang Tough continue to go forward in Tallahassee, uh, making a big impact. So we're in week five of our Let's Go series, our last week of the series. Uh, next week, we're actually going to start the Old Testament book of Ruth, and we'll be in Ruth for three weeks. Looking forward to that. Uh, but in Let's Go, this is a special day for our church. It's actually Commitment Sunday, and in just a little bit, we're going to have a chance to respond to this Let's Go vision. We've been sharing about really all month long, and if you're new here going, oh my gosh, I can't believe I came on the week they're going to do this, uh, well, I would say actually it's a great week to come because uh, you're seeing what we're about, uh, that we're about the next generation, we're about mission, and have a church family that's serious about making these kind of things happen. So I think it's the best day to actually come for the first time because you get a glimpse uh, of what really makes City Church, City Church, the gospel message and the mission of Jesus Christ in Tallahassee and beyond. And stories like Janelle's and others are, are, that we've shared are why we want to make sure as a church we're going. We want to see every person in our city reach with the gospel, and let's go is how we plan to do more than ever by God's grace over the next two years. So I really do believe, this is not just some like pastor speak or some being overdramatic, I really believe this will be a day we look back on for years to come, and I'm really thankful that you're here and are a part of it. So we're going to jump in uh, to today's message. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into the book of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, as we will be this morning. Father, we are grateful for your grace. We are thankful that... We can understand love because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What great news it is to know we are reconciled to the Father through Christ. As she fills with the Spirit, so we will not carry out the desires of the flesh, as your word tells us. May you keep the enemy out of this place. May you be with all the churches in Tallahassee as they gather today. May the gospel be preached in this community this morning. And may people respond to the good news of who you are and what you've done for us I thank you for Hang Tough, for Janelle, Michelle Hart, uh, just the work that you continue to do through their leadership and have done through their leadership for the new staff that's rolled on. Uh, we ask that even greater days can come for truly the ministry uh, that is Hang Tough. We ask that you will find us as a church faithful and that we'll be serious about representing you as ambassadors of Christ. We lift up this day to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12, one interesting thing about Hebrews is that no scholars can be sure of who actually wrote it which for a New Testament book is kind of unique. Uh, it doesn't, God wrote it. We're told that all scripture is inspired by God. But in terms of who was the human author, no one actually knows. Uh, this is a little random tidbit there. Uh, so, we, so instead of saying Paul said, or you go, the writer of the Hebrews says. Uh, so the writer of the Hebrews just got through in chapter 11 uh, talking through kind of the heroes of the faith. Uh, those who had gone before, kind of people from the Old Testament, different figures who God had used in mighty ways, uh, trying to encourage them about the, those who have been faithful before them. And then that's why we get to verse 12, where he uses the word therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, excuse me, verse 1. So he just told them who these people are, who have gone before him, who have been faithful to the Lord, and he says, therefore, since we have such a la large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, since all these faithful people have gone before us, let us lay aside every hindrance 
and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the creator of our faith, not some random man who started a religion, not someone who claimed they had some vision from God and you should follow them, but God himself, the pioneer and the perfecter, the one who makes our faith happen and carries it out to completion, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The joy that lay before him, that it was a joy in his pain, in his suffering, in his shame, the joy that lay before him was to bring God glory, bring the Father glory by reconciling his people to himself. He counted it as joy. He said, look that direction. Focus on him. Now this verse is about running your race well. And by race, it means the life of faith. I want to run well. I want to be found faithful when it comes to what I've been entrusted to with the good news of this gospel message. I don't want my faith to be just a hobby for me or a good luck charm or just somewhere I run to when things don't go too great. I want it to really define my life. And that's going to really indicate, be indicated by how I run my race. See, disciples are all in or they're not in at all. Like when you train for a marathon, I'll actually never know about that, just to be honest. But I've heard, when you train for a marathon, you can't go halfway. I mean, there's apps, and there's like coaching groups, and there's a nutrition plan. There's this whole process of running a marathon. And you make sure that you go all in, or you're not going to even remotely be able to run the race well when you travel to whatever marathon you're going to run. So here the writer of the Hebrews is pointing them to how they can run faithfully their race. And the first thing he tells them is that we're running our race for them. So we should consider them as we live our lives for Christ. Who are them? They're the faithful ones who have gone before us. He says in verse 1, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us. He's pointing them to the faithful who have gone before. He's telling them, you're not the first ones to ever have to wrestle with what it means to follow Jesus. You're not the first ones who have been mocked for your faith. You're not the first ones who have doubted, who maybe have been disappointed with God for something that happened in your life. You're not the first ones to go, God, where are you in this? You're not the first ones to pray. You're not the first ones to read the scriptures. You're not the first ones to walk with someone and tell them about Jesus over and over again. There have been faithful ones who have laid the path before us. He says, consider them. Run for them. I'm very loyal and very thankful, and I talk about them regularly, that original like 20 to 100 in the early stages of our church. Most of them don't even live here anymore. They live all around the country. And I'm still in very good touch with many of them. I'll regularly send them a text that just says thank you. And I'll send them a picture of something happening here in our youth ministry or our college ministry. And just the things that didn't even exist then when we first started our church. And I'll say thank you. You never could have envisioned this. I couldn't either. Thank you for the role you played while you were in Tallahassee of making this church happen. Financially, prayerfully, 
leading a small group at a certain season when we needed you, serving in kids, just being here and being a part of it. Like, thank you for running your race well. We continue to do this for you. We think of you regularly. I, I use football analogies a lot because I'm just a big football fan. It's just kind of my world. And it's common in football programs, not just football, but college basketball, college baseball, uh, for the team, the coach, to bring back former players. And the reason why they bring back a former player is to have that person usually address the team. And they weren't chosen to address the team because they happened to be these amazing speakers. They weren't on some international motivational speaking circuit. They come back to address the team because they used to be on the team 20 years ago, 30 years ago. They know what it's like to wear that uniform. They know what it's like to play in that rivalry game. They know what it's like to get knocked on your butt and have to get back up again. They know what it's like to sweat on the practice field. They practice on the exact same field the current team does. They know what it's like to have the coach tell them off. They know what it's like to win. They know what it's like to lose. Like my current Miami Hurricane football team. Another topic for another time. They know. They're part of the family. They've been where you are. And this is what the writer's doing here. Look to them. Look to the faithful. In other words, you aren't crazy. There are other people who have also believed that Jesus rose from the grave and it was worth their very lives. Consider them. And then he says, most importantly, consider him. That we actually run our race for Jesus. He says, keeping our eyes, in verse two, on Jesus. The pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He is why, he is the reason, in verse one. He says, let the sin that anything that can entangle you, lay it aside so you can run faithfully. He says, let us lay aside every hindrance. It's a track and field reference. Most sports back then were only in the first century were in the context of maybe kind of a track and field uh, kind of approach, uh, from throwing the javelin to running races. And they would actually strip down their clothes as much as possible so nothing would hinder them in running their race. That's actually where streaking first came from. We're not going to get into it, I'm not going to get much into that. Uh, that's where streaking verse came from, because they would actually take off their clothes sometimes in races to make sure nothing was hindering them from running well. And back then, it just wasn't really a big deal. Now you like go to jail. But back then, it wasn't a very big deal. Today, we see that in the Olympics. You'll see swimmers. They have these very kind of scientifically designed bodysuits they swim in to make sure they have as least resistance as possible to swim their race. Runners used to wear kind of really light running shorts and they wore a tank top back in, you know, 30 years ago. Now, very scientifically designed, very tight body type suits they wear to make sure nothing is hindering them from running their race well. Why? Because they're fixed on the finish line. They want to win a gold medal, so let's lay aside anything that can stay in the way of that. The writer here is saying, let us look to Christ let him be the goal. Let him be the motivation. The scriptures say that we can even love him only because he loved us first. Let that be what drives us, what compels us. He says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. You're not the perfecter of your faith. You're not the one who is perfect. I'm not the one who is perfect. Jesus is. So let's look to him rather than to ourselves. Even those who have gone before us, the faithful Christians, they're not even ultimately sufficient. Yes, we should look to them, but the people in Hebrews chapter 11, they all have their flaws. They all have sins they've committed, and most of them are documented in the Bible so everyone gets to read about them forever. 
and they're still pointed to as faithful people because they endured. They kept their eyes on the Lord, not perfectly or all the time, but thankfully God was the one who is and was and always will be perfect. And he says, for the joy that lay before him, that it was joy to our Lord to go to the cross. Don't get me wrong, it was painful. He even asked the Father to take the cup from him, to not have him to do this, but he also went willingly to accomplish the mission ultimately for which he was brought, which he was sent. As we're told in John, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We do it for them, we do it for him, and we also do it for the mission. For the joy that lay before him, the joy of bringing a people to himself. It should be a joy that lays before us to proclaim the goodness and the greatness and the truthfulness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and now at all vindication for all time, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what those who went before us did was worth it, because Jesus is alive today. Let us consider them, and consider him, and consider the mission. Those are the three things that we run for. And the reality is, wherever we focus our attention the most, will become the driving force in our lives. I think Lisa Turkhurst said this right when she said, we steer where we stare. We steer where we stare. When you, maybe can think back to when you first got your driver's license. Or if you're a teenager right now and you just got yours or maybe you have your restricted license, there's a few things your parents tell you out of the gate. When I first learned how to drive, there weren't cell phones yet, so one of those was not put down your phone. That was not one of them, uh, like it is today. But you were told two primary things that kind of span through generations. You were told, slow down. Don't drive 60 on Meridian Road. Slow down. And then you were told to keep your eyes on the road. Slow down. But the main thing is keep your eyes on the road. Why? Because where we stare is going to be where we steer. If you're watching the road, you're more likely to actually stay in the lanes. What happens when you kind of get off track? You go off the road and true catastrophe could actually happen. So what the Hebrew writer is telling us is exactly that. Lisa just kind of puts it in a more kind of contemporary, applicable kind of form. She says, look, where we steer, yeah. Where we look is going to be where we go. Where we focus our attention is going to become what drives us. It's going to be the reason we get up in the morning. But instead, because we are people who oftentimes believe the lies, there's more to be gained by disobeying God than there is to be gained by obeying him. I have to go around him for all the things I'm looking for in my life rather than right to him. So instead of staring to Christ, as verse two tells us, we stare at ourselves. And maybe not literally in the mirror, but our own pleasure, our own comfort, our own wants, our own desires in the moment. Whatever it is that's gonna make me happy, I stare there. So as a result, I steer towards a completely self-centered life that gets to the point where I even think that my own spouse, my own kids, my own friends, my own job exists for the purpose of making me happy in the moment. Where we stare is going to be where we steer. Maybe we stare instead at our perceived competition. They used to call it keeping up with the Joneses. 
We feel like it's competition to make sure that I'm viewed this certain manner, that I have what he has, that they view me as the mom that she's viewed as, that my kids are as well behaved as their kids or as successful or as accomplished or as smart or, or whatever it could be. And as a result of us staring towards that perceived competition, we steer there and make everyone's life insecure and defensive and really never what it was actually designed to be, a life that finds satisfaction ultimately in Christ. Or maybe we stare at our problems. Not that your problems aren't important to God, they're very important to God. He tells us to bring us, to bring him our anxieties, to bring him our pain and our struggles. But oftentimes our problems, we believe, are the center of the universe and we stare there. So we can never actually be happy. Everything always has a yeah, but. We become very cynical, very jaded, very untrusting, which all ultimately goes back to selfishness because we steer where we stare. And where does that road end up? What lane does that get in? Insecurity, discontentment, very close-handed on money, and being extremely non-committal. And then it becomes, just by human nature, everyone else's fault. Mark Sayers puts it like this, that our lives now become focused on continual consumption, anxiety, and self-focus. And you look at our world right now, I think those three things can even define it, at least in our context. Continual consumption, anxiety, and self-focus. And I don't mean this in a snarky way. The question you have to ask if you're being honest is, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? People are more anxious, more depressed, feel more pressure, have more marriage issues, are more discontent, and we wonder why it is this way. And I think the scriptures would tell us that we steer where we stare. But thankfully, the author of the Hebrews keeps going. He gives us this great charge to look to Christ and look to those who have come before. And then he says this in verse 28, same chapter. He says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom, he's pointing us to something better that cannot be shaken. All the other things of this world, they can be shaken. Even the good things of this world, they can be shaken. He says, so because of that, let's be thankful. Let's have hearts of gratitude because of what God has done for us. Let's rejoice in the stability of what we think might be mundane and basic and praise God for those things. Because his kingdom cannot be shaken. He says, by it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. Reverence and awe. The reverence and awe was never designed to be for us. It was designed to be towards him. Because for our God's a consuming fire. You could do a month-long sermon series on just what that means, that our God is a consuming fire. What an imagery. The other things pass away. God is an eternal flame. I want to stare towards that. It's easy for me to lose focus. I have maybe what y'all have, and that's not just regular ADD, but spiritual ADD. My ADD is so bad, I had never counted to 10 before. By the time I get to four, I start my ABCs. It's really complicated. But a spiritual ADD is that you're just, you know, yes, God, walking with the Lord, following Jesus, whoop, over here, over there. 
Oh, look at this, look at that. That feels better, looks better, sounds better in the moment. So I need to consume those things, no matter who it's going to put at risk. No matter what it does to your family, your friends, most importantly, relationship with Christ. I want to stare towards Christ. And what does that mean? That can sound really spiritual. And one thing about our church is we try to talk in just regular language here and not act like our seminary professors sitting in the fifth row or anything like that. Just regular, deep truths in regular language. What's it mean to stare towards Jesus and steer towards Jesus? I think it means to stare at his grace, to remember just how good God has been to us, how he's given us what we don't deserve, that we deserve to be punished for our sins, but God in his mercy did not allow us to be punished as our sins deserve, but Jesus, who never sinned, was punished in our place to take on the penalty that we deserve, like God's grace and how he sustains us through our failures and through the time where we actually aren't staring at him, how he continues to look, to us, look at us and value us and treasure us as his image bearers, as his children. Like, let's look to his grace. Let's look at Jesus' life. We can see now what it means to actually live our lives as God intended, how we talk to others, treat others, what matters to us. Let's stare at his grace, let's stare at his life Let's stare at his lordship and believe that he actually is king, that we are subject to him, and that's a glorious thing because the creator of the universe who rules and reigns also knows and loves us and allows us to participate in his life. Let's look at his church. Let's stare there. His design for his people. His design for mission. Let's look at his mission. Let's stare at the great commission that he's called us to go and make disciples of all nations. Let's steer our lives there. And the same is true for our church, not just individually, but collectively. We want to stare at the things that God cares about and our church to focus on the things that matter so you don't get off track. It's easy for a church to get off track because they're staring in the wrong directions rather than staying on mission and in that lane. Think of the Apostle Paul. He was shown amazing grace by the Lord. Radical conversion. And here's what he said about his life. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9, he says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, no matter where we are, make it our aim to be pleasing to him. As in, that's my ultimate ambition. Yes, he had other ambitions. I hope you have great ambition for your life, for what that looks like for your family. And I don't mean in the success of the world kind of way. You know, that's okay too, but I hope you have success, or I hope you have ambition for your family and how your family is gonna live for Christ. And I hope you have ambition for how you're gonna live for Christ at your, at your workplace. And I think it's great to wanna grow a business and wanna you know, grow a life. And I hope, but that's all driven by, ultimately, your aim to give glory to God. And I say it to myself as well. Thankfully, Jesus cares deeply about us in so many different ways, and he invites us to do a stare and steer check. And it's easy for us to hear it from him and actually not pay attention to it, kind of like when your check engine light goes on. I think my check engine light's been on for like 13 years, and like nothing ever happens. Just sort of ignore it. Or when you go to get your oil changed, and what do they do every single time? They tell you that your air filter needs to be replaced. And it's like two leaves in it. Well, it's about that time for your oil filter to be replaced. Okay, great, man. You know more than I do about cars. It's going to be $89. I'm going to do it next time. I'll do it next time. I'm totally lying because next time I'm not going to do it either. It's easiest to ignore those things. Gaslight goes on on Monday. You're like, great, I'm good till Thursday morning. All right? 
then you find yourself on the side of the road. Jesus said this about a check for us. He says in Matthew 6, where your treasure is. And treasure in this context is money 100%. That's what it is. There's your heart will be also. It's like a competition happening for our heart. Between our new selves and really one of the biggest hindrances of it is the love of money. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Or we ignore that check that he does for us, a stare and steer check. Where are you aligned is we, no one thinks they're rich and everyone thinks they're generous. That's the reality living in, in suburban America. Nobody thinks they're rich because there's always somebody else that has more. And everyone thinks they're generous. So my question for myself, especially over this series, has been, what would it look like for my heart to be steered to Christ regularly? What would it actually look like? And I think the first thing is that staring at Christ when we see the scriptures loosens our grip. We're wired to be like this when it comes to our stuff and our life and control. Staring at Christ loosens our grip. And the second thing is staring at Christ makes his mission our ambition. It makes his mission our ambition. Because like that's what it's about. Like that's the goal. That's the point of all this. So I want to be somebody who has found faithful because of what I believe to be true about what Christ has done for me. And I want to be someone as a result of that that stares to Christ rather than to myself. And that's a challenge every day. Because when I stare at myself, I'm going to steer towards myself. And that always ends in a train wreck. But when I stare at Christ, it doesn't mean that my life's going to be perfect. Because we're living in a world that's not our own on this side of eternity. We're promised that trials are going to come our way. But it does mean I'm going to be aligned properly. And on a lane that we're told eventually will lead to a road that will, or a destination that will never be shaken as the kingdom of God goes on forever and ever. It's hard to think about eternity when you're thinking about where you're going to go to lunch after church. It's just hard. But it's a discipline. It's a discipline. To know that everything God has promised us is going to become true in Christ. We actually will be with him forever. So in the meantime, let's stare to what cannot be shaken and allow it to loosen our grip and to make his mission our ambition. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that the creator of the universe knows us by name. What a thought. I'll never fathom that. But I know it's true, because your word tells us so. That we can love because you first loved us. So I ask that your love will drive us. We'll be passionate about Jesus Christ because how we know and understand your love for your people. And I ask that the cross and the empty tomb will drive us to serve you with confidence, knowing that we have a kingdom that we're a part of that cannot be shaken. Lord, please find our church faithful. Thank you for what you started 15 years ago. Allow us to still stay on mission today and not drift, to stay in the lane of making disciples in Tallahassee from our church for the city and sending people to the world. We're thankful for grace and for love. And it's the name of Jesus we ask this all. Amen.